The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to Overland Park Community Church. It's food truck fun day. Fun day, okay. And you do get a shirt. Just go out there. There'll be uh, out at the table. We're encouraged to have you here today, and uh, I'm glad uh, you're here. If you're a first-time guest, we want to welcome you. Encourage you to fill out a connection card found there in your folder and let us know who you are. We'll pray for you. We're excited that you're here um, uh, visiting the church and hope that you've found a place you can call home. College football season is upon us. Yeah, man. And that means one thing. The Allstate commercials are back. I love those commercials, man. Uh, I'm a football flag. (laughs) And in flag years, I think he says, I'm 110. Then he flies off, boom, and the cars have the wreck and all of that. Um, And so he says, protect yourself from mayhem like me. I love those commercials. And so so it's fun to to get back to football season and see those. But today, God has a word for you about mayhem, okay? And so we've been looking at the fall of Saul. We've been watching how, man, this guy, like, he, he just keeps tumbling further away from the Lord's will for his life. And we now have been seeing where he's kind of falling And we see the fall of Saul and the rise of his son, Jonathan. And it's a very sad story because Jonathan, man, he loved the Lord. And we we find out later that he, when David comes on the scene, and again, Jonathan's the prince of Israel. And when, when David, who will become the king of Israel, when he comes on the scene and God rejects Saul, Jonathan's father, as the king, uh, they're still, man, they become best friends. And the reason is, is because their, their relationship, their friendship is woven around the Lord and submission to who he is as Lord in their lives. In the Old Testament, they would call this the Shema. And that is um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Okay, and so we see Jesus repeats that in the New Testament. And so they understood the lordship of who the creator was, and they submitted to that. And because they did that, they had a fellowship with one another. There was a a kindred spirit between David and Jonathan. And we look at uh, Saul, and he doesn't do that. Um, As a matter of fact, there are some interesting things that you find about him and, and, and one of them, when it says, like we learned in his glorious moment, it says the spirit of God came over him. A couple of chapters ago, remember when he slayed the oxen, he slaughtered the oxen, and, and he went to battle and said, if, if you don't show up, we're going to do this to your oxen. And the Israelites turned out. It, it says, when it says the spirit of God came upon him, it does not use the word Yahweh, which is lordship, Okay. And there's only one other person in the Bible that it uses the spirit of God instead of the spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament up through Second uh, Kings, from Genesis to Second Kings. The only other person that it refers to that way is, is the guy by the name of Balaam. And he is a prophet that tried to hurt Israel. And so he was kind of a false prophet. And so it's, it's like we see there's a problem with Saul understanding the, his, who, who the Lord is, who he was because of who the Lord was. And so when, when we look at this um, a passage that we're going to unpack in 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 24, we find this like fascinating um, story in the Bible about, okay, so last week, for those of you who wasn't here, let me catch you up real quick. 
Jonathan, his son, has disappeared from the rest of the Israelite army. He and his bodyguard, if you will, his armor bearer, have gone out to see what the Lord is up to. They see uh, about 20 Philistines, and they, they kind of talk to the Lord and say, if the Lord is going to give them to us, they will respond this way, and we'll go out and take them. And if, they, if he's not, they'll respond this way, and we'll stay right where we're at. And so the long story short is that they said, they, they, like they felt the confirmation of the Lord telling them to come and attack. And so they go and attack this outpost and it's uh, 10 to one. Uh, there's two guys against 20. And so 10 to one odds and they wipe them out. And then all of a sudden God's power moves. We have a shaking going on, the scripture says. And the, the Philistines all over the place, the entire army, for some reason, God sends a panic and the Israelites have become victorious. And the reason is, is God is trying to show the Israelites it is through faith. It is through trust and obedience that I'm going to establish you as a nation. I don't want you to be like all the other nations. I want you to trust me. I want you to know me. I want you to depend on me. I don't want you to depend on yourself. And so he gives, he gives this panic because Jonathan is doing that. And God is pleased with his obedience. And that's what God is always evaluating as not our talents and our potential, but our our obedience, our surrender to the Lord. And so this, this move happens and then Saul sees it. And so he comes in and he wants to take credit for the, the, uh, the battle. They go in and, and they're victorious in this moment. Well, the Israelites have taken off, man. They're running, they're scared to death. He said, well, why would that army be so scared? Because they felt the presence of the Lord and they did not know him. You have to understand historically, God is telling a story to the, to the world, to the nations. And remember when God started moving in the nation of Israel through a guy by the name of Moses, like, like we see some incredible stuff happening through the nation of Israel as God's power is descending upon the planet. And we have the, all the miraculous signs that God used the prophet Moses to execute here on the planet. So there was a history of Israel's God. He was a living God, and they knew when Israel's God was starting to move, man, that the people were like, they were paying attention. So the Philistines are running because they know that Israel's God is up to something, and it's, it causes them to panic, and they're fleeing. And so where we pick up in the story, story today is that they're going to pursue them, okay? So they've, they've, they've had the first initial attack. They've gone in and they have, they've become, like that momentum has shifted for Israel. And they have been able to invade, like they've been able to invade the stronghold of the Philistines and they've taken a lot of them out. And so the Philistines are on the run. So there is the spoils of that battle that's all around. And this is what happens. Fascinating. Now, the men of Israel were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be any man who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. So they've been battling. They've been holding up. They've already been deprived of nourishment. And now they have the spoils of a battle that was left behind because the Philistines fleed. And Saul executes this order and says, no one to, is to eat until evening. And so they're pursuing the Philistines. So can you imagine the army? They're pursuing the Philistines. They've been battling already all throughout the day and, or, or night possibly. And, and now they're moving in and, and they're pursuing them. And it says the entire army entered the woods. 
and there was honey on the ground. And when, the, when they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out. Amen? Come on, man, I love honey. I found this place back in Oklahoma that makes, they've got some of the greatest honey. I bought a whole case when I was there last time. I'll sell you a bottle for $30. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's good honey. And so it's oozing out. I said, wow, honey doesn't ooze like out of the ground. What's going on? Well, the Philistines had gone through that area and probably discovered some honey hives and broke them down. And so it's, it's on the ground and, and they probably partook of some themselves. And so it's oozing out of the ground, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. So they didn't get to eat the spoils of the battle that they were just in, and now they're pursuing these Philistines, and as they're pursuing them, they come to the woods, and it's like passing quick trip, man, and nobody will stop. Like, it's right there, and I'm, I'm dying of a thirst that they got these great drinks in there, or getting me a taquito, right? I don't like taquito. It's food truck fun day. <laughs> And so, and so they're, they're on their way and, and, and they're going through their men and they can't have any of it because they fear this oath. But Jonathan, the king's son, had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath. So he reached out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. And he raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers came over and told him, your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, cursed be any man who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, my father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes have brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have even been greater? It would have been even a, a more incredible victory had my father not done this. That day, after the Philistines had struck down the Philist, or after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted. And so they finally catch up to the guys they're chasing. And they, they're, they're, they're able to, to take control of them. And they're exhausted. They're just wiped out. And it says they pounced on the plunder. Now, what is the day had ended in the Israelite community? Like uh, when evening came, the, the order, the oath that Saul had them under was lifted. And so now they didn't have to worry about the oath. They could eat and they were starving to death. And so it says that they pounced on the plunder and taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood was a strict violation of the Hebrew covenant. One of the reasons that uh, they got so upset with Jesus, if you read in the gospel of John, um, he, you'll find that it says, J Jesus makes a statement and he says, like, you, you, if you want to be my disciple, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, man, blood. Like, you don't eat blood. Like, that was something you didn't do. And that just, like, there's no way that, now Jesus obviously wasn't referring to his, his blood, like, like them literally taking a drink of his blood, but he being the sustenance, his blood being spilled for them, uh, for all people would be the sustenance that carries us forward. And so God had told the Israelite people long back when he was establishing them as a nation, as he brought Moses out and he established the Jewish covenant and law, 
He said, you are not to eat animals. This actually, this goes back to Noah. You're not to eat animals with the blood in it, okay? Now, why? Because he says life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And so it is a foreshadowing that life is in the blood. And every time he wanted the people to take the, the animal and place it on a rock and take the blood out of the animal. Why? One, for health reasons, but the main reason is as a visual reminder of sin and the cost of it. Life is in the blood. What's the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve fell during the creation story? God took an animal and he made skins. Well, guess what had to happen that, with that animal? He had to die. It was the first time they'd ever seen death and Adam and Eve were beholding this animal being slain. Why? So they could be covered. And so it, it, like, like it is a reminder of the cost of sin. And so that's why God had said, I want you to take when you eat an animal and you butcher it, you put it on a rock above the ground and you let the blood spill out on the ground because I want you to be reminded without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Like that's what the New Testament teaches us is, is that's the importance of the cross of Calvary is we must know Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. And so this is a reminder, you don't do that. Like when you partake of uh, an animal, you put it on a rock and you, you bleed it out and you look at that. And it's a very uncomfortable thing and it's designed to be that way as a reminder of the cost of sin. And so this is going on and all the guys are just, man, they just pounced on it. They're so hungry. They start cutting the animals open and beginning to partake of the plunder that is before them. And then it says that, then someone said to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. And so Saul responds and says, you have broken faith, he said. Roll a large stone over here at once. And then he said, go out among the men and tell them, each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. And so it was good that he corrected it. But the sad thing is, is that he didn't notice it. <laughs> Somebody had to tell him. So everyone brought his ox and that night and slaughtered it there. And then Saul built an altar to the Lord. Then Saul built an, Saul has been the king for a while. Watch this. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Wow. We'll come back to that. It's the first time he had done this. And the writer wants us to know that. He specifically puts in, it was the first time this had happened. And then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night. So they, they had caught some of them, but they, he, went, he wanted more, more and more. He says, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn, and let us not leave one of them alive. Well, the men had eaten now. They'd had their quick trip run. And so they say, do whatever seems best to you, they replied. We're in, Saul. But the priest said, let us inquire of God here. And Saul said, that's a good idea. So Saul asked God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. As a matter of fact, God does not answer him specifically like he speaks to um, David and other um, prophets and kings of the Lord uh, because of where his heart was at. And he's been, he's he like, we're going to see like a complete rejection of him as king. And so he does get an answer, but it is not in the intimacy 
that we are designed to get from God. And so God did not answer him that day. Saul, therefore, said, well, something's going on. It's kind of like the story of Achan in the Old Testament with Joshua. There was sin in the camp. He knew something was going on. And and so he says, come here, all of you who are leaders of the armies. And so he gets all of the leaders of the armies, all of his captains, I suppose. And he says, let's find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if it lies with my son, Jonathan, he must die. What a foolish statement. Like, what are you thinking, Saul? It's your boy here we're talking about. But not one of the men said a word. That's significant. Not anybody else in the army said a word about what was going on. And they knew one of the soldiers is the one that told Jonathan, hey, Jonathan, you're not supposed to be doing that. And it probably went through the camp and there was a bunch of them that knew and they knew something was going on and, um, and not one of them said a word. Saul then said to all the Israelites, you stand over there. I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. They say, do what's best Uh, what seems best to you? The men replied, then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, give me the right answer. And Jonathan and Saul were taken by Lot. Now we learned what Lot's were. It's something of a casting of a stone or somewhat. And if the Lot falls on you, that's how they would discover um, what the Lord's will was. And so it fell on, on Jonathan and Saul. And then They cast a lot between, Saul said, cast a lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And so Jonathan told him, I merely tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now must I die? Now, in the Hebrew context, this is not the best translation of the phrase there, because it sounds like it's a little sarcastic. Um, I tasted a little honey, and now must I die? That's not really the way he's responding. He said, I merely tasted a little honey with the end of my staff. And if I must die, I must die. Like he didn't even make an excuse. He was that in tune with who the Lord was. He just owned up to what he had done. He said, I'm the guy. Like I broke it. Like this is what I did. And so Saul said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. You wouldn't talk about mayhem. This guy is talking about his son. But the men, this is, a love, this is the Lord right here, man. But the men said to Saul, should Jonathan die, he who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they withdrew um, to their own land. Where's a spider on my Bible? <laughs> I had to get that off of there. I hope it didn't land on you, Bethany, but uh, it's not on me now. <laughs> and so, uh, so, the, so, so here's the deal, man. It's like, Saul is like, Jonathan's got to die. And the men said, they recognized the hand of God on Jonathan. And they said, what Jonathan just led us through was all because God is with him and you're not gonna touch this boy. 
And so they, we see that some of the limitations of the monarchy within the Israel on the first king, like when the people begin to stand up, there can be some things that take place. And so they're not going to let anything happen to him. And so they stop it. And I'm sure Saul is glad that they stop it because he's trying to lead out of what he thinks to do right instead of just doing right in the beginning. And, and so now he's kind of got himself between uh, in, in this mess. And, and now that he's in this mess, there's a way out. And what happens is they quit pursuing. They've lost time and they, they move, the Philistines are able to escape. And here, so here's the takeaways, real quick. Misplaced identity always leads to mayhem. And when I watch people, it doesn't matter if you say you believe in Jesus or not, because when we look at Saul, he is a firm believer in God. Okay, but we look at Jonathan, we see something very different between him and his father. Same family, same God, but different placement of identity. Jonathan's identity was wrapped up in who he was in the Lord. Saul's identity was wrapped up in who he was, and he believed in the Lord. I see the same thing happening over and over in our day. When it comes to the people within the kingdom of Christ, there are people who, many people who believe in Jesus, but their identity is wrapped up in themselves and they have not figured out how to wrap their identity up in Jesus. And that's what lordship is about. This is why there's so many of these things that, that Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must die to what? Yourself and follow me. When you lose your life, Jesus said, you will find it. When you lay it down, you will discover who you really are. And so it's all about our identity being tied up in the right place. And so Saul's identity was, it was screwed up royally, no pun intended. In verse 24, look at what he says. I have avenged myself on my enemies. Who? I myself, and my. They were not his enemies. They were the Lord's enemies. What, was, what has God been teaching us all the way through through this, this experience with Jonathan? The battle is the Lord's, not according to Saul. The battle is his. Look at what he has done. He wants more songs written about him. He wants to be more famous. And so his identity is all messed up, and we see that. In verses 35 and 36, after several years, he finally builds an altar. Throughout his reign, he only approached God after he tried everything else. So God to him was a bailout. And, and that's never the way we want to live. We never want God to be our last result. When we turn, resort, when, when we turn to God first, he will never be a last resort. And that's the difference in living with the Shema that, that, that Jesus talked about in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is the Lordship of Christ. It is his rights over your life. And when we get there, we're beginning to turn to the Lord first instead of after we make a mess. Saul was all about turning to the Lord after the mess was already been made, after everything's already screwed up. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's never going to talk to God about what he wants to do until he gets in trouble and then somebody has to remind him, the guys are sinning. Oh, they are? Stop sinning, guys. Hey, let's go take the rest of these guys out. Hey, should we pray about that? That's a good idea. Shouldn't the king be making those decisions? And I think we would all say Amen. But as a mother and father in your own house and a leader in your home, you should be making the decisions as well. 
what is the Lord saying to us about this? And anytime you find yourself saying, ah, you're, you're beginning to introduce mayhem into your life. And because of Saul's identity problems, look at what happens. He made a rash decision that led to terrible results. The soldiers were in distress. That's the way that the story started out. The soldiers are in distress because he manipulated them with fear. He couldn't manipulate them with character, so he had to use fear. If you eat anything, you'll be cursed before evening until I avenge myself on my enemies. So he used fear to lead them. The soldiers, uh, are, in verse 29, it says, his son says he made trouble for the country. The men were too tired to fight. They got so hungry, they sinned. He almost killed his son. And the enemy escaped because the investigation surrounding his thing that he implemented took so long that they were able to get away. All because, listen to this, all this mayhem happened because he did something the Lord never asked him to do. And that's what misplaced identity does. When your identity gets wrapped up in the wrong place, you will have mayhem all around you. So when your identity, let me give you these real quickly. When your identity comes from performance, that's what you do. Look at my job. Look at, uh, if you're, maybe you're, you're young and you're in sports, look at, look at my sports. Maybe you were good at sports and you're not young anymore, but your identity still comes from when you were good back in high school. If your identity comes from sports, if your identity comes from how you perform anywhere in any way um, or your possessions, what you have. Look at my house. Look at my car. Now, again, obviously within the kingdom we want to perform, but if our identity is coming from how well we do or where we went to school or what degree we have or if it's coming from what car we drive or what our home looks like or how nice it is, and it shakes us up because somebody else has a nicer home than we do, then we got identity problems because now we not only, maybe it's not performance that's a problem for us, maybe it's our possession. Then the third thing is perception. If your identity comes from there, it's like, what do others think about you? What do others think about what you drive? What do others think about how your kids are? What do others think about how hard you work? What do others think about how you live? What do others think about how you dress? If your identity comes from your performance, your possessions, or your perceptions, you are living in the prison of your kingdom or queendom. You're in prison, man. Like the more you think that way, the more you're in prison, and the enemy wants you to stay right there. He wants you to constantly think about, well, what does other people think about you? I mean, you lose your job, and one of the things you first think of is, man, I, I'm, I lost my job. People probably think I'm a loser. Well, man, people lose their jobs all the time. Losing your job doesn't make you a loser. It just happens. It's part of the economy. The enemy is the one that's telling you you're a loser and your identity is coming from what you did and therefore you're introducing mayhem into your life and you're going to have consequences all around you and don't think it doesn't impact anybody else. King Saul's son should have been the next king and we'll see later that he dies on a hill with his father. <laughs> 
It impacts everybody. It impacts this church. If your identity gets wrapped up in the wrong place and your identity is wrapped up in your performance, your possessions, and your the other's perception of you, then it impacts the health of Overland Park Community Church because you're not walking in the place that where you're supposed to be walking. You're walking in prison. And the enemy is cheapening your life. He's stealing from you. I'm reminded of Jesus saying, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But right before he says that, he says the thief has come, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. How does he steal and kill and destroy? He'll put you in prison and make you think the wrong way like Saul did, and you will introduce mayhem into your life. When your identity comes from God, what he has done, like you just stop thinking, man, what, how does a guy get up on a weekly basis and preach to a group of people when he has, like, like he knows he's a fallen sinner himself? Like one of the most difficult things to do is stand in front of a group of people and preach the word of God. How does a guy do it? I constantly look to God. Jesus, look at what you have done. I'm not worthy. There's nothing worthy about me. Like, I don't stand in my own righteousness. What I do is stand in the righteousness of Christ. And so when your identity comes from God, what he has done, what he done, uh, what he's accomplished on the cross of Calvary, he died, he was buried, he rose again. He has taught me through the New Testament and old that his blood was shed for the remission of my sins. That he has taught me that those who confess Jesus as Lord will be saved. He has taught me that I am adopted into his kingdom. And so when I looked at that, I can go, man, look at what all of God has done. Don't look at what Jimmy can do. Look at what God has done. That's where my identity comes from. Here's the second thing, grace, what you have received. <laughs> man, it's mine. The Lord gave it to me. And it, why did he give it to me? What did I do to get it? Grace, just grace, God's grace. It was all free. Like, I don't go to church just got to get God's grace. I go to church because I already have God's grace. I'm just celebrating. I'm not trying to get. And there are some people who believe and some people who teach that in order to be right with God, you have to jump through hoops. If you want to be right with God, you better look at what he has done through the man called Jesus Christ, the God-man who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And that's the only thing that can uh, reconcile the, the, the wedge, the gap between who you, you, where you are and where God is, is Jesus. You can only look at what he has done. You can never look at what you do. And as soon as you start looking at what you do, then look at what I did for the Lord right there. You have introduced self-righteousness into your life and you're starting to go back up into the top side and walk in prison. Even in the kingdom, the Lord can be using you and you can be walking in prison because you're looking at what you have done. Many pastors have fallen victim to the problem of God beginning to bless their ministry and it grows and it, and it moves forward and all of a sudden you're still invested in the kingdom but you don't realize that you have crossed a line and now you're looking at what you have done instead of what God has done and when you walk there, you have put yourself back in prison. Okay, so that's why like we look at this and we have to always think about, man, look at what the Lord has done. It is God, it is grace and it is gain and that is how he sees you. Any time you get down on yourself, and you will get down on yourself. Like, if you are alive very long, you will get down on yourself. Like, you'll just have days, man. We all do. That is part of being human. But it's also part of believing in who the Lord is. is that when I start feeling down, I have to go, whoa, 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 wait. How does the Lord see me? He sees me as forgiven. He sees me as washed. He sees me as clean. He sees me as a child. I am his. 
And so here's the thing, man. When your identity comes from God, grace, and gain, you are living in the freedom of his kingdom. So the two choices in life as you walk through, even as a believer, is to walk in the prison of your own kingdom and queendom or to walk in the freedom of his kingdom. And that's what we see happening between Saul and Jonathan. Saul was walking in his kingdom. Jonathan was walking in the Lord's kingdom. And that, that, like, that's where we want to live is we want to be in this place of freedom. And so here's the big idea of today's talk. Protect yourself from the mayhem of me. Like, that's it, man. Like, you, you are the one who will bring about the mayhem. Why? Because it is your life. And you have what? A free will to do what? Either surrender to the Lord or take it up as your own and try to operate in your own kingdom and queendom. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Oh, I want, y'all get, I want you guys to get this. Oh, if we get this, we could set this city on fire. But who cares if we set it on fire if the people filled with the building don't get it? And that's what's happening is that you got great crowds, but where are the people who are walking in the freedom of the Lord? And then you look at them and go, man, they are just enjoying life. Like they're getting the most of it. Man, if we could just get that, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Man, I've been walking with the Lord like, like for decades now, and he's still teaching me that there's more freedom that I don't know about. And I'm in this place right now, like there's this wonderful place that I understand my identity so well. One of the reasons that I understand my identity so well is because I think I have walked through the path of that pastor that I explained before when I started looking at what I had done. Now, I always knew the Lord had done it through me, like he used me, but I started to kind of look at it and go, man, look. And he, like, I had to like walk out of that and really kind of get back to Jesus and go, man, what am I doing? Like, it just became like an accomplishment instead of my life needs to be marked with nothing, but I'm just in love with Jesus. And when people see me, they go, man, there's a guy that I can look to and go, man, he loves Jesus. I need to love Jesus like that. And I can kind of live out what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to know something as your pastor. There are, I mean, I have things that I need to get better at, Okay. And, and, and there are things that, as, from a leadership perspective, that, that, that I need to continue to develop, and I will do my best. But one of the things I want you to know more than anything about Jimmy Holbrook is I am free. Like, I am free, man. I'm walking in freedom. And when you get around people who aren't walking in freedom, man, you could just tell, man, they don't have the freedom of the Lord in their lives. And, and, and that's what we were supposed to live is with this freedom. Now, here's the irony of the story. Moses, he, Moses, I want you to go and lead my people out of the bondage of Israel or Egypt. I'm going to bring them into the promised land. They take these 10 guys, 12 guys, and they send them out as spies into the promised land. They come back and tell us about the promised land. What's the promised land? Like, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's unbelievable. It was oozing out of the ground the day they walked through the woods, but they could not partake because one man was walking in prison. The honey was oozing out of the ground. like It was just dripping from the broken honey hives. They couldn't partake because one man was walking in prison. The whole army was suffering. 
But the one guy who was walking in freedom, man, he saw that honey and he recognized the Lord had provided for them. And then the one who was in prison starts kind of orchestrating things and he gets things even in a further mess and it looks like all is lost. And this guy who's walking in freedom and says, if I must die, I must die. And the men say, you're not touching a hair on that dude's head. Why? Because he's walking in freedom, man, and I can see the Lord in his life. And for, you're the last thing you're going to do, King Saul, is touch Jonathan. Jesus taught that the promised life is oozing with abundance. I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. So he's taught us that the promised life is oozing with abundance. But if you walk in prison, you cannot partake. The honey of abundance is all around you. It abounds. And you may be walking by and looking at it and not taking the staff and dipping it in so that your eyes may be brightened. This is the joy of the Lord, I think, in the Old Testament when we find about this brightness of eyes. Which kingdom are you living in? today? Are you living in your kingdom or your queendom? Are you walking in the Lord's kingdom? Come on, man, let us walk in the freedom of the Lord, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so let us be a people of freedom who are walking in the, in, the, in the fellowship with the Lord and walking in his freedom and our identity is not coming out of what we do and what we have, but it's coming from what he's done and who we are. We are adopted children of the king. And then when we understand that truth, we can really start to enjoy what we have and what we do. Because now we're working for the Lord out of responsibility, and we're not doing those things to define our identity. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.